Clancy Pasta presents Everyone's a God, We Just Don't Know It Written by Alyssa Galoo Founded in 1670, Charleston, South Carolina is one of the oldest cities in the United States, which means it has a lot of history and ultimately beauty surrounding it. Charleston is probably the most beautiful place that I've ever had the privilege of living in. My best friend Julia and I went to college in Charleston and decided to stay after graduation. I'm working in a mundane field out on the beaches surrounding the city, but she is working as an archaeologist for the city itself. In a city as old as Charleston, when people want to do construction on historical homes or sites, or sometimes even just regular places around town, they call in an archaeologist just to check it out and make sure they're not destroying a priceless artifact. Most of this story is Julia's. I'm just the storyteller. One day, about a year ago, Julia got called to a site in an extremely old part of the city. South of Broad is a notoriously old and particularly wealthy part of town. An old Charlestonian family was doing some renovations on their carriage house, and they hadn't originally called in the city to make sure it was archaeologically cleared because someone of their family had lived there so long that they couldn't keep track anymore. Apparently the carriage house had never been renovated though, because when they attempted to dig into the foundation and start their excavation, a shovel knocked into a wooden box buried underground. That immediately was a red flag for the construction crew, who then called in the city, who called in Julia. She couldn't do much more other than supervise the remainder of the construction in a way that it was done without harming any other potential historical items underneath, but she really couldn't do much until the ground everywhere was breached. However, she did dig up the box that they had originally bumped into. She said it was a pretty inconspicuous box, which had started to show early signs of rot, which means it wasn't in the ground much longer than 70 to 100 years. She properly categorized it, documented, photographed, and recorded the box, and opened it to reveal what was inside. The only thing inside of the box was just a book. Julia carefully took the book out and realized it was bound in vellum. It looked incredibly old. Even from the outside, she could tell that the pages were yellowed and uneven. The binding was near the end of its life, and the title was in a language she couldn't decipher. After properly categorizing, documenting, etc. the book, she brought it to her supervisors and asked what they should even do with it. She wasn't content with it just getting thrown into an excavation box in a climate-controlled room. The book was clearly old and had a colorful history that she really needed to know. Luckily, her supervisor decided that she could explore the lead since it would probably tell them and their clients, the original people doing the excavation, a little bit more about their family and ancestors. Julia immediately called me up and told me about this book, and as a bit of a history buff myself, I was already jumping into this adventure feet first. I suggested we start back at the college and talk to one of our history professors to see if we could at least get the language deciphered. We left the book in the lab since it's climate controlled, but armed with photographs, we headed over to the campus and sat down in Dr. Hetty's office. She was as scatterbrained as ever, but still the smartest person either of us knew. She had literal stacks of books and piles around her office, with students' papers scattered around haphazardly. Some had grades, and some didn't, but it didn't really strike her as important. What was really important was her second research desk on the far side of the room. It had the most book piles, a laptop and second monitor, 
and multiple empty coffee mugs. Hetty comes blustering in the room, gives both of us a hug, and complains about the students she's had since our graduation in 18. We politely take the compliment and get down to the real nitty gritty. Hetty, listen, I'm working as an archaeologist for the city now, right? Well, I found something on a dig the other day, and I'm on a job to find out what it is, and I figured our favorite linguistics professor is the right place to start. Give it to me, girls, she more or less squealed. The air of excitement she gave off was almost palpable as her eyes grew wide. She stuck her wire-framed glasses on her face and pushed her wild hair back into a low ponytail. Oh, oh God, would you look at that, she exclaimed, leaning back in her chair with the photographs, never removing her eyes off of them. I need more. Do you have more photos? Yeah, I have more photos, or I can take you to the lab, Julia said. But what language is it? I cut in. It's Old Norse. Julia will have to do some dating to figure out how old it is, but the language was spoken in the Scandinavian region up until the 14th century. If it came from where you said it did, it must be a family relic or something passed down for generations. The title, though, that's what intrigues me, Hetty said with a dreamy look in her eye. She immediately snapped into focus and grabbed us a book from the middle of a stack, sending the top few papers flying to the floor. Like a whirlwind, she handed us a book on Scandinavia and raced over to her bookshelf. Before I could even look at the book she already gave us, she pulled out a small pocket-sized book that had obviously been rifled through many times. She plops it on her desk and gets to filing through the pages. I know it's here. I know it's here. Here! she exclaims, and points her finger down with an audible thunk on the book. Here's the translation guide for Old Norse. I had this book back when I was an undergrad. It has pretty rudimentary translations, or at least help with translating some of the most common old languages that we come across. This one, I just haven't seen enough to know how to translate it. I'd be lying if I said my heart wasn't beating out of my chest right now. Julia seemed weirdly calm and quietly rifled through the book on Scandinavia, while Hetty at her desk kept humming and every so often saying a small, Oh, or Aha, as she worked to translate the title. I've got it. I've got it, girls, and I need to see this book in person. We need to translate this book. The title is The Ordinary Gods and Lands They Inhabit but I know nothing about Norse ordinary gods. There's the mythological classics like Odin, Thor, and Freya, but I've never heard of what they call ordinary gods. Ordinary gods and the lands they inhabit. Huh, Julia said dreamily. Well, let's do it. Come on, I'll bring you to the lab and we'll translate at least the first chapter. I think Hetty and I had the same expression of wonder and excitement on our faces, as Julia stood up and promptly walked out of the room. We both looked at each other, back to the space where Julia used to be, and hurriedly grabbed our bags and raced out the door after her. The next 24 hours were pretty uneventful. Hetty worked tirelessly translating the first chapter. She had to call a couple of colleagues and had to work extremely slowly because of the state of the paper and such. Julia continued working at the job site, and I sat in the employee lounge of her lab just dozing on and off. At about 5.30 a.m., two days later, I get a call that woke me up from a pretty deep sleep. It was Hetty, 
and she was so excited she couldn't form words. I just decided to get to the lab and see what she was talking about myself. About a half hour later, I greet an equally makeup-free and tired-looking Julia at the door to scan us into the building and meet Hetty. She had two cups of coffee waiting for us as we sat down and she's practically bouncing with excitement. You two are not going to believe this. According to this first chapter, we are gods. You're shitting me, was my first answer. There's no way we're gods or that anyone thinks we are. You must have translated wrong. No, no, I didn't translate wrong. Hear me out. The book says that we are gods, but of the mundane, hence the ordinary gods moniker. It uses some outdated examples, but if you think about it, it makes sense. People are extraordinarily good at things, right? Some people are really good at keeping plants alive, others always seem to get caught in the rain, and some people are supernaturally good at dumb things like balancing a pen on their finger. According to this book, it may not seem like anything to us, but it's a power over the natural world, and it seems like the next few chapters have examples. That's ridiculous. We're not gods, I exclaimed. But Julia actually surprised me and said, Let's hear what the chapter has to say. It's possible. Anything's possible, really. Hetty went on to explain the whole first chapter. Ordinary gods, they explain, are gods of the mundane, the everyday. The reason it's not so widely known is that once someone realizes their domain, they can exercise total control over it and cause chaos. They say that Odin bestowed a gift upon his children, that they were to be made like him, gods of different things that he created for them. And as people age and create children, their domains merge, and children become gods of another item. We were able to deduce from the knowledge that there must be multiple gods of different items. With seven billion people in the world, there's not enough objects for everyone. The people in the age of the book had learned of their domains apparently due to a process in learning items known as the Forbidden Knowledge. They began to challenge the traditional gods, pushing the boundaries of what their domain was and the gods that oversaw their domain. They got feisty. They were intentionally creating children to form stronger and stronger domains. In short, they planned to rival the creator gods for control of the known world. Odin, as the creator, didn't see this as a mistake. He saw it as a challenge for the mightier gods. He had them come up with ways to subdue the lesser gods, as we were known, for control of the world and the subsequent domains of the earth. Loki was known for tricking those who participated in the forbidden knowledge by skewing their results so that they didn't actually know what their true powers were. Thor struck down those who challenged him, and Freya got creative and would coerce two people to fall in love whose powers would negate each other. After decades of this effort by the greater gods, humans eventually forgot their powers. They always had an inkling. We were extraordinarily good at the strangest things, but we never quite knew why. The book itself details the forbidden knowledge, how to access your godlike side and take control of your domain. I will say it was incredibly convincing. I could see how the author of the book genuinely felt this was true, and you could tell in the way that Hetty was explaining that she also believed in this information wholeheartedly. It would account for why the book was locked away and buried, 
Maybe it is secret knowledge we weren't supposed to know. After this entire explanation, the three of us looked at each other in confusion. Was it actually true? Was it possible that we were gods of the mundane? Julia slammed down her coffee mug, stood up, and said, I don't know about you two, but I'm damn sure I'm going to read that forbidden knowledge. It took another two days, but Hetty worked tirelessly to translate what she found as the chapter on the forbidden language. Julia and I were called to the office again, but this time at a normal time of day, and we found a somber-looking Hetty waiting for us. I'm done. I finished the chapter, but listen, Julia, I don't think this is a good idea. There are some serious consequences outlined in here, and you know if this is all real. I don't think it's a great idea to bring about the wrath of some deities onto you. It's not real. I'm about to prove it. Let's do this. I hope you translated it word for word. I did, an exacerbated Hetty replied. There's some Norse chants you'll need to recite, but I've written them out phonetically for you so that it's easier. You'll need to sit outside, specifically in a grass field, with a circle of candles put out around you. The key is to get in touch with the earth, as it's the earth that ultimately bestows this power to you through your connection to it. Odin gave us the gifts, but the earth is the one who makes sure we use them. Once you're in the circle, you'll need to recite these phrases. You'll need to do it properly, so practice first. After that, it says the knowledge will be bestowed upon you, and doesn't go much into detail after that, so I guess we'll see where to go from there. Easy enough, Julia replied, grabbed some candles and twine out of the lab cabinets and marched out the door. Let's go, she said with a nod towards us. We're going to Hampton Park after dark. Since the sun was setting, we didn't have long to wait, so we pulled into the parking lot and marched ourselves with armfuls of candles into Hampton Park. The crowd luckily weans as it gets darker, so we didn't have much of an audience for what may or may happen in a few minutes. Julia had been constantly reciting her lines in Norse, even doing a few YouTube searches to make sure she was pronouncing them correctly, as Hetty and I set up the candles in a circle around where she would sit. We lit each candle with a match, and Julia stepped into her illuminated circle and sat down. What happens next still boggles my mind to think about. She sat in the circle, with legs crossed, and the candlelight shining off of her hair. She slowly closed her eyes, reached her hands down, and grabbed fistfuls of grass underneath her. Her lips started moving, and as the first word left her mouth, the world grew quiet. The frogs no longer sang, the cicadas didn't chirp, there wasn't even the usual car alarm going off somewhere else downtown. She continued in her trance, and things grew even quieter. It was as if the air was sucked out of the atmosphere itself, and I could do nothing but stare at my friend with wide eyes and a hopeful heart. She kept reciting, until apparently she finished. Her eyes opened, the sound returned to the world, and she slowly stood up. Look, nothing's happened. Nothing's different, she said with a laugh. As she laughed, she turned and opened her palms towards the sky. I told y'all, nothing ch- As she was about to speak, her palms still tilted up towards the sky. It began to rain. 
It rained only in one spot, the circle surrounding Julia. The drops formed columns of water above her open palms. As the columns of water formed, hovering above her open palms, Julia looked in disbelief at what accumulated in her own hands. She turned her hands towards the trees and pointed her fingers, and the columns of water shot towards the trees with unbelievable speed. Water, I gasped. Julia, your domain is water. Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for three months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description, and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>